Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. This is Steve Olson with Kurt Mortensen here, locked and loaded for more information. And we're going to go a little bit off of what we typically do into a very interesting topic that you all need to know more about because you're all doing it every day. And I'll leave you hanging in suspense as to what it is. We'll get there in just a minute. Kurt, how you been? Hey, it's been good. Weather's been decent. Spent a couple days in Dallas, which is always nice and warm. People are always so nice and friendly. And Ready for December. Well, okay, physically ready for December, maybe not mentally. How about that? Well, <laughs> I'm okay with some snow in December because it's, you know, you've got the holiday season and that's what it's all about. And the first snowfall of the year is kind of cool because it's all quiet outside and it's it's really peaceful after a, a good snowfall, not one of those uh, sideways blizzards, right? <laughs> but yeah. just a good snowfall. But I tell you that when that clock rolls over to January, I'm done. The snow has worn out its welcome. Luckily, it hasn't gotten that far yet. Uh, so, feeling good? I don't know. Are you ready for the holidays? I'm ready. I mean, it's been a warm month in December so far. I'm loving global warming. It's great. I don't know why everybody's <laughs> so worried about it. But uh, yeah, You get a better tan. What do you want? Yeah. yeah. We, we made a horrible mistake at our house, though. We decided to remodel our house during the holidays. Oh, that's fine. Why did we do that? I, I don't know why I did that. I'd like to go back in time and slap myself. I'll have to check your frontal lobe on that one because the forecasting and decision-making just really didn't cut it on that one. Yeah, well, we, we made some adjustments, and so it, we're, we're actually going to have the kitchen intact during the mo most of the month, and it's not going to get torn to shreds until after. But They say a test of a marriage is building a house together, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you really find out how good you are at communicating with one <laughs> another. And we're pretty good, but there have been a few things like, wow, we... Uh, we sure missed there, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Yep. Make or break your marriage right here, right now. Yeah, everybody will, in January, I'll tell you if I'm uh, if my marriage is holding up or not after the remodel. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll do a couple classes on communication. How about that? Yes, yes. And I'm sure my <laughs> wife is thrilled that I'm airing this all out on the podcast. <laughs> Public knowledge is now, it's now out there. Yes, it is. <laughs> so we've got good info for you today. And everybody, remember, go to universityofpersuasion.com. Kurt, we've got a promotion going through the end of the year on that one, don't we? We're telling you 50% off. We've got some free stuff. We've got some monthly offers. We've got some annual offers. I'm talking hundreds of audios, hundreds of videos, persuasion software, webinars, archives of the podcast, a 52-week persuasion influence program that's mapped out for you, in a PDF influence library to look up any challenge that you're having. It's got it all. All right there, it, go to universitypersuasion.com. Not only is it a great deal, but man, you go through that 52-week program, I guarantee you'll see some big differences next year in your ability to persuade, influence, and an increase in your income. Look, if you want to get better at persuasion, you can listen to the podcast and you can read books and there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. If you really want to crank it up and go to the next level quickly, you've got to do something beyond that. I remember for years, Kurt, I would go to the, the golf driving range by myself and teach myself. <laughs> and uh, I didn't make a lot of progress. And I decided I was going to take lessons one year. And I achieved more in two hours of lessons than I had in three years of dinking around on the driving range. And so if you want to really seriously crank this up and make 2015 a huge year, 
do something that you haven't done before. If all you've been doing before is listening to podcasts or going to occasional sales meetings, are you shocked that the results haven't changed dramatically for you? If you want to change, you've got to make a change. And that's, that's very profound advice, right? <laughs> that's exactly how it works. Now, everyone on the podcast is smart enough to figure it out on their own. It's just, do you have the time to do that? Do you have the 10, 15 years to figure it out to master yourself? Or go find the person that's the expert and learn from them. Exactly right. With this stupid remodel I've got going. That's what we just decided. <laughs> We're going to pay for somebody that knows what they're doing to do it right, to do it fast, and do it the first time. Exactly. Yeah, otherwise I'm going to Home Depot every day for you know five or six times and... <laughs> Jeez. All right. Been there, done that. Yep. Yep. So <laughs> universityofpersuasion.com. Go, go there. See what we're talking about. Tons of different options. And you get 50% off through the end of the year. That's pretty good. That's like Black Friday good. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. So, Kurt, apparently if you don't like your boss, you shouldn't fake it. <laughs> Very interesting article. I'll take the geeky article for the day. So Sometimes you don't like your boss and you try to fake it and pretend you like it. And this new study from Michigan State said it could be counterproductive to fake it. In fact, your job performance can actually improve once you and your boss see kind of eye to eye about your relationship. And it's okay sometimes. Look, we're not the best of friends. We don't even like each other. We wouldn't hang out on the weekend, but guess what? We're working together can sometimes really help that relationship. See an eye to eye instead of trying to be buddy buddy, pretend that you like each other. The researchers found that employee motivation was higher an employee was more apt to go above and beyond their basic job duties when the worker supervisor saw eye to eye on the relationship, even when that relationship wasn't very good. But they said at the end of the day, it's better for everyone to know where they stand and how they feel about each other. And that's kind of an important thing. I thought that was interesting because we do talk a lot about people skills. But when they know that you're faking it, when they know it's a fake smile, when they know that you can't stand each other, Hey, get it out in the open. Talk about it. You still have to work together, but at least you see eye to eye. Okay, okay, we wouldn't be friends in the real world. We wouldn't even talk in the real world, but we're working together. Let's go through this. Let's do that. It was actually helping the relationship and upward mobility of that employee. That's surprising, yet not surprising. I know I've had some relationships like that with the boss or supervisor or coworker even. And, and it's funny because it is a little counterintuitive, Kurt, but I, I've found that actually the respect level, at least professionally, goes up once you've just both admitted to yourself what this really is. We just really work together, and we are not going to hang out ever, right? <laughs> but your respect level on the professional level goes up. Yeah, I agree. Even if it's airing a grievance or talking about what they call the elephant in the room, people appreciate when you're the first one to bring it up, because we cover it up, we cover it up, it'll go away, it doesn't exist, we'll pretend, we'll pretend. No, bring it up, especially in a negotiation, too. If there's something there that needs to be addressed, if you're the one that brings it up and addresses it and say, let's work on it, I know it really helps that relationship, even though it might not be a perfect relationship, at least you can move on and improve what you're doing. As always, I like to point out the obvious. There's a difference between, okay, I don't like my boss, so I'm not going to fake it anymore, and, and being a jerk, right? <laughs> right? At the end of the meeting, yeah, boss, I'll get you those TPS reports and screw you, okay? <laughs> As, you know, you be cordial, be professional, uh, of course, and, but you're not expected to just hang around and joke around and stuff if you just don't like that. If you don't like the boss, don't fake it. Exactly. Be professional. Maintain that relationship. It's probably how you treat... 
I was going to say a mother-in-law, but that's probably not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you you know, some people just know that relationships aren't there. You do what you can. You're cordial. You're respectful. You're professional. And that's okay. And you both know it's no secret that you're not the best of friends. Don't pretend to be because that will have the opposite effect because they know you're faking it. And that's very incongruent. Hurts trust and hurts your ability to influence and maintain that relationship. Agreed. That's a great geeky article moment. Thanks for bringing that to our attention. So we want to start getting into what we had set up for today. Every single day, all of us have to get people's attention for whatever reason. And so Kurt and I thought that it would be a good idea to spend some time covering how to write persuasively. Uh, we do emails, we do marketing copy, we do web copy, all these kinds of things. And this is really the precursor to effective persuasion, although persuasion is involved in it, of course. But you know, when you're trying to persuade people, you got to have leads. You got to have people who want to talk to you, right? Nothing is worse than cold calling and having to get people's attention that way. When you can write persuasively, these prospects come to you preconditioned with certain parts of the persuasion process already accomplished or at least well underway because you wrote effectively. And anybody who's gone to college but then also written persuasive ad copy or emails or anything like that knows that the way that they teach you to write in college is not even in the same galaxy as how you're supposed to write in the persuasive setting, unless, of course, it's a class on persuasive ad copywriting or something <laughs> like that. But, uh, yeah, the, how, how we're typically taught to write is totally different than how we need to persuade, and that is what we are getting into today. It is a great topic, and we need to say up front, this is a three-day seminar, I mean, to really get good at this, but we need some things to really start helping you out to improve what you're doing, whether it's an email, whether it's a voicemail, whether it's a presentation, or just writing copy to get people to respond to your ad. It's a critical life skill, and when you get really good at this, people will become knocking at your door. The first thing we need to talk about when you're doing this is, who's your demographic? Who are you talking to? What are their challenges? What are their issues? What are their problems? What are they concerned about? What do they want to know? What are they looking for? That's the first thing you have to do. That is so important, whether it's an email or a voicemail. No-brainer. Everyone knows that, but no one really spends the time to research that, and there's so much information on the Internet that will tell you about your demographic, what they're doing, what they're reading, what they're thinking, what their challenges are, and that'll really help you out just to get started. I think that applies in any kind of persuasive atmosphere, Kurt, not just in writing, but so many people make the rookie mistake of, I'm going to talk about this product or this service, or I'm going to write about it, based on what I think about it. And it's not about you, right? It's about the prospect. What do they think about it? And you really have got to make that effort to get out of your shoes and into theirs and try to see it from how they are going to see it. I think you've probably seen commercials or ads or things like that where you're going, I don't even get what this is trying to do. This is ridiculous. It's because they made no effort to put themselves into your shoes. And conversely, the most effective advertising and marketing is when you feel like they totally understand. They totally understand what I'm thinking and feeling here, and it takes the credibility up through the roof. It does, and most people don't do it because it takes time, it takes effort, it takes energy. And I've always said, look, you're going to pay up front with your time or you're going to pay the back end with lost money. It's the only way you can look at it for doing research on your audience, whether it's a presentation, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's a negotiation, whether it's writing sales copy, it's all the same. So we've talked about point of view then. What are we going to do here? You're writing an email, you're writing copy for the web, print. What are some of the basic principles that a persuasive writer follows? So let's talk about format. 
and how this works. And this is good news for a lot of people because you get so concerned about writing copy. But understand, I can go to a great 90-minute presentation that's really persuasive and everyone's running to the back and everyone's all excited about it. I can take that word for word and that actually becomes great copywriting, great sales copy. And people don't realize that. The number one thing when you look at format is you're making it conversational. It's like I'm reading a conversation. I'm getting involved with this conversation, and that's the first one to look at. It's conversational. The second thing is, remember, if you've studied NLP or the law of expectations, is is presuppositions. You're talking like you're going to be solving their problem, that they're using it, that they're excited about it, and that's an important thing. Presuppositions is a very simple thing. You're just creating a picture. You're talking like they've already accepted your service, your product. It could be as simple as, you're going to love how this car handles in the mountains, presupposing that they're already in the car. It could be a simple thing. Hey, do you want to have that meeting Tuesday or Wednesdays? Presupposes they're going to have a meeting. And that's the thing. It's almost like an assumption, a presupposition. It's conversational. You can really create this format in a way that when people start to read it, they can't stop reading it because you're talking to them. That's true because... I have a degree in political science, and I had to take lots of classes on writing and things. And, and the way they taught us to write was just – it just killed me because I'm a natural sales guy, right? Mm-hmm. I like the the art of conversation and making it sound good. And in academia, it's factual and, and right to the point. And what you're saying is a lot of times it's got to be like a conversation, and that sometimes is going to run afoul of the grammar police. <laughs> and, it says. Yeah, it, you're going to hear about it. Hey, you put a comma here. You did this wrong. But it's because it's it has to feel like a conversation coming off of the page. It is. A lot of that grammar you got to put to the side. You want to check your spelling, of course. But grammar, sometimes you just want to make it conversational. You're talking to me. I'm, you're, hey, I have that problem, too. Yeah, I've run into that. That happened to me, too. Wait, that's cost me money. Oh, wait, there's a solution. Boom. And it makes a huge difference. Okay, so that's part of the format. It has to be conversational. How about from there? What are some good ways to, when we're writing copy, to get attention so somebody actually wants to read it? Well, the first thing they're going to look at is going to be the graphic. The second thing is going to be the headline. And then from there, that'll bring them into the copy. So we got to spend time, if you're using a graphic, if it's an email, you don't have one. Is that headline? I mean, that's going to take most of your time. And then people are like, that's crazy. That's three, four, five, six words. Well, that's going to take a lot of time because if that's what's going to bring them in, that's where you need to be spending your time. That is such an important thing that people either work on last or don't think about it because your whole copy is going to be going around your headline. You have to capture your attention. You have seconds to capture their attention. You have to think about that headline. If you're writing an email, what are you going to put in the subject line? It's the same thing. How are you going to get it opened? What can you do? And a couple of things you can think about, too, is if you could arouse some type of curiosity, would work very well. That sounds interesting. I have that problem. What's that? What do they mean by that? I've heard that before. Or the world famous, what's in it for me type of a thing that really brings them in. Can you state their problem? Can you solve their problem? Can you arouse curiosity? What can you do to grab their attention would be the next thing I would work on. So headline and graphic, and, and I've seen that a lot. You, you've probably seen this too and noticed it. Uh, if you're on various websites, some of these banner ads across the top or down the right side that you can tell they're a pay-per-click ad from Google or something like that. And typically it will say, 
uh, stay-at-home mom finds weird way to make six figures, and there's some <laughs> picture of a really attractive stay-at-home mom with a lot of cleavage, right? <laughs> and it, yeah, there is. And, and that's the principle here. It's definitely got attention. You know, for the guys, it's, hey, cleavage. For the women, it's like, I don't like that girl, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and that's what typically happens. And then it's the, the finds weird way. You're like, what a weird way to make six figures, huh? And boom, intrigue. And they know their audience. That doesn't get me to click it. But a lot of people do click those kinds of ads because in that case, they've just used the pure sex appeal in the graphic. Uh, other times, it's a graphic that's just pleasing or uh, is curiosity or just really pops. And then that headline going along with it. I deal with that the same way. When I sell properties, right? Actually, I'm putting one on the market today. We've been in there digging through this property, rehabbing it for months. And it's going on the market today. And I know that it has to pop, right? So it's all about the picture. The front picture of that house is going to make a tremendous difference to how people feel about it. Some people won't even go to it because of the picture if it's not done correctly. That's it in everything. If you don't have pictures in your copy, I would advise you to find a way to get them in there. If you're writing plain text email... That's one thing. Sometimes that's a little more persuasive. But if you can get some kind of a picture in there, it totally frames how people think about what they're about to read, right? And I'm sure, Kurt, if there's anybody that has this, it's you. There are probably studies out there of show somebody a picture, then have them read, copy, and rate how they feel about it, right? Is it a picture of two people smiling and shaking hands and they're attractive and they're dressed well? You know, or is it a guy, you know, with a big beer belly on the couch eating potato chips, right? And then they read the article. I bet you they would feel differently about it based on the picture. They would. And it would depend what you're marketing. If you were trying to do an infomercial about making $10,000 in two weeks and you show the guy in the beer belly of the potato chips and he was the one that did it, you're like, wait a minute. If he could do it, I could do it. Pictures do matter depending on the situation and your headline and the five deadly mistakes, the sins. And, and don't get tense. Okay, people, don't get tense here. Here is how marketing works. Most people don't know this. You are allowed to benchmark what other people have done. You can go get the National Enquirer. They do really well at this. You could take a look at different things that you see online or ClickBank, a lot of these things. You can benchmark different headlines, whether they're using what works, adjust it, fine-tune it, have a, what they call a tickler file. I would have an email address that just gets spam all the time to see what's working, what people are using. And that triggers your creativity. You see what other people are doing. You create your own through this benchmarking. And it's actually much easier than you think. Yeah. While you were talking about that, I just thought, let's get a real-time example. And I went on to Google, and I just typed in cars, okay? Mm -hmm. And some of these ads that came up along the, the, the right side of Google, one of them is for cars.com, right? And they, of course, is cars.com is a website launched in June 1998, second largest automotive classified site. Second only to autotrader.com. That's the Wikipedia entry. And so they do this to get third-party credibility. But then, of course, they've got their promoted stuff, and they've got a picture, and it's advertising the Nissan Murano. And it's a nice, slick picture. The car, believe it or not, Kurt, it's actually on a lawn. It's sitting on grass, <laughs> okay? Now, who here parks their car on the grass? Nobody, <laughs> okay, unless you're, you know, unless you're one of those, right? Yeah. Let's but, it. Oh, I would name the state, but some states, that's okay. Well, we all know it's West Virginia. That's our, our state of <laughs> all choice. All right, you said it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, 
But it's like, what is this car doing on the grass? And there's a house in the background. So when you just glance at it really quickly, it's a pleasing image because the car is polished. It's got the right angle. There's grass and trees and a cool house in the background. Oh, wow. Slick, right? And then it says Nissan redesigned its Murano SUV. See how it handled our first drive. That's a curiosity. It's, hey, they just redid this. How did it do? And so that combined with the picture, that's a good example. I'm sure there's better, and I'm sure there's a lot worse. But they're trying to do just what we've been talking about now. And you've even seen cars with on the beach, on the sand. You're like, wait a minute. You can't get it out there. But there's those slight triggers, those pictures. They all come into play when you're doing your headline and making it persuasive. And, and the next thing I need to add here as we really look at this is one of the big blunders, and you mentioned this on the university level, it's always about the logic and the facts and the figures, the logic. And if you start adding emotion, they get all freaky on you. Is that the scientific term, freaky? All yes, right, we'll go with is. freaky. And that's a challenge. I love what Dale Carnegie says, and this is so important. We've talked about this before, but he says, when you're dealing with people, remember you're not dealing with creatures of logic, but with creatures of emotion. Creatures bristling with prejudice and motivated by pride and vanity. And we have to understand, don't just focus on the logic. You'll need some facts and figures and statistics. You'll need that, but you need to have that balance between emotion and logic. We react on emotion. We will email you. We'll call you based on emotion. And of course, when that emotion has gone, we need that logic. But you need to figure out what is that emotional impact? What emotions can you trigger? That's what's going to make you memorable. And that's how people are going to respond to you is based on that emotion. Right. Right. Well, that's good. So what else should we know about uh, writing persuasive copy? Because we're probably going to need to extend this into into the next show because it's so important. Like I said, it's this is what gets you people to talk to. If you're doing your own marketing or you run a marketing department, this this is what brings the people in the door, puts the butts in the seats, so to so to speak. Yeah. Whether it's advertising online, pay-per-click, conversation, voicemail, email. We all have to be more persuasive. And so we've talked about some fundamental things that really make a huge difference. And then one of the laws of persuasion we always have to talk about when we're talking about writing and talking is verbal packaging. Every word we use will attract or repel people. Words affect our attitudes and emotions. We can come across as more credible and convincing when we use the right words. And people, it amazes me at the words they use in their copy that really can hold them back. I mean, here's an amazing thing. Just changing the word repair to fix had a dramatic increase in response by simplifying the word. So we have to look at every word that we're crafting together, whether it be a presentation or sales copy. Every word will attract or repel the person that you're talking to. And you don't even know it because you're used to the word. You use the word all the time. But sometimes when people see those words that repel, they don't even know and it has the opposite effect. Good point. Good point. We're going to continue it next week and get more into actual words and when and when to use them and why, because that's the next portion. I mean, we've got format. We grab attention. And now what actual word choice do we use? Because that's how we think. That's how we process and understand information. We're taught these words from when we're a baby. And how we understand and process the, the world around us is based on words. And they all have so much emotion and connotation uh, attached to them, don't they? They do, and they trigger those emotions, and we don't even think about it. And verbal packaging is interesting, and and, I, and that's kind of something that people don't even think about when they say these various words. And we have a long list of words that we can give you that we can talk about, but think about every word will attract or repel the person that you're talking to. 
And there are words that really grab attention that you can use, and that makes a big difference in any time you're doing any type of copy. Good to know. Okay. Well, why don't we cue up the ninja? Ninja, go! We've got a ninja, and I have been giving this particular ninja money for, I think, two years now. There you go. I love to give them money. I do it every month, and whenever I see it come out of the bank, I'm happy about it. You know, I think that's the definition of a ninja. I love to give you money. Yep. Yep, That is the definition right there, because that's what makes it true. It doesn't matter. You'd probably even pay him more. Yeah, I would. Don't tell him that, but I definitely would pay him more. We won't won't say that one. So, yeah, if you're wondering if you're a ninja, do your prospects love giving you money? Because, wow, that's just sheer persuasion jiu-jitsu there. Mm -hmm. So I think, Kurt, you've noticed we're going to talk about razors, all right? Guys and the ladies all all have to use razors, and I'm specifically We we don't have to. We just hope. We hope right. that you do, all right? <laughs> Kurt has offended our female listeners in France now. Thank yeah, you for that. Yeah, cultures I can, yeah, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. But okay, we had to offend somebody. Go ahead. Yeah, there you go. So we know these commercials in this advertising for like Gillette razor blades or shaving cream and those things, right? It's always some guy, really attractive guy in his late 40s with salt and pepper hair. He shaves. And then there's always some 20-something uh, attractive model who can't help herself. She drapes herself all over him and is feeling the skin. And that's the whole Gillette advertising. And the thing is, though, these razor blades, you use these Mach 3 razor blades and things, they're really expensive, right? You go to the pharmacy or the grocery store and you want a four-pack of Mach 3s, it's 30 bucks. They even have to, if you notice, they lock them up, Kurt, and you have to get them out. because I have noticed that. They're locking more and more things up there at those grocery stores and I've noticed that too. Very pricey. You're like, really? Yeah. You're like, come on. This is. The, I mean, look at these things. It's 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 a disconnect between the benchmark value of what we think we should pay and what people are wanting for it. And and there's a company out there that I love to give money to called Dollar Shave Club that is exploiting that disconnect. And if you listen to sports radio or anything like that, they're advertising all over it. They've made it funny. They send me a little newsletter with my razor blades every month that they ship to me. And they say, put this on the back of your toilet and read it when you're doing your business. And I do (laughs) (laughs) because it's funny and they have my attention and their commercials are hilarious. You know, they have one commercial shows a guy going to buy the razor blades and they say, yeah, I'd like to buy these razor blades. And he says, stand here, please. And then a boxing glove comes out of the counter and hits this guy in the crotch and he doubles over. (laughs) Okay, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's funny. Does it feel like this when you're buying razor blades? You know, it's funny. So... And it's six bucks a month, and, and I just pay it, and I have all of them that I need, and I never have that experience of having to overpay and, and deal with it. And they've just taken a problem that I didn't like and made it be something that I never have to think about anymore. And I think that that is well-deserving of being featured as the ninja on the show. Make it simple. Make it easy. Make them happy. You don't have to get start getting ready to shave and realize you don't have any shaving cream or razors, and uh, you're a happy customer, and now everybody knows. And now everybody knows. Yep. So they've done a great job, and I think these guys are making money hand over fist. I mean, they've probably got hundreds of thousands of people at least giving them six bucks a month. So what is that? Is that like one thing of shaving cream and a couple razors? I mean, how does that work? They've got a couple choices. I get four razors, and I pay six bucks, and, it, and they're the same ones that you go pay 30 bucks for, Right. And so I don't even have to think about it. I've got a sharp razor for me every week when I want to shave and they're not getting dull and I have to 
limp into the pharmacy with a cut up face and get fleeced for 30 bucks. So, and there's a ton of different options. You go there. I, I get nothing from Dollar Shave Club, but if you're a guy who hates that whole razor blade problem, go there and check it out. Totally worth it. Good job. There's the Ninja of the Week. Ninja of the Week. So don't forget, go to universityofpersuasion.com, 50% off to the end of the year. Learn how to be a ninja. Learn how to get your prospects to just love giving you money. And really think about how can I give these guys more money because I just enjoy it so much. Even if you just go there and check out our free resources, you'll become a better persuader. That's what it's all about. Everything you want lies on the other side of persuasion and influence. Become the ninja, and people will want to do what you want them to do, and they're going to like doing it. Sounds great, everybody. We appreciate you listening. Send your feedback, comments, nominate ninjas or blunders to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. Check us out on iTunes. You can subscribe to the show there. Just punch Maximize Your Influence into the search bar on iTunes, or check us out on Stitcher Radio as well. Once again, have a great week, and we will catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Catch you next week. 